Our Aboriginal listeners are warned that the following program may contain voices and names of deceased Aboriginal persons. Our blog and Instagram this week may also contain images of deceased Aboriginal persons. History Untold for your evening entertainment. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just talk like that and acted like nothing happened? <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That is not. <laughs> I think it would be too. Okay. Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Sabrina and Martha. And on this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood. And that's it. Goodbye. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for <laughs> coming. This yeah. is the end. And and the <laughs> this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Oh my gosh, this is so scary. <laughs> What sound was that? <laughs> Anyways, moving on, ignoring my possession. Um, yeah, we have it a kind of is the end, isn't it, Sabrina? Yes, yes, that's what I was going to get to, and then you interrupted me. <laughs> it was taking me a long time to get there, I'll admit it. So, it is kind of a type of end in that it's the end of our season, our first season, which is exciting in and of itself because we made it a whole season like that's so wild it's also not the end next week is next another week is the end. next next week yes but we're close is what yeah. we're saying and also we are using the term season very lightly because we've in, had so many episodes i know but like our season doesn't like actually mean anything like it's not like <laughs> oh our a season is like 10 episodes our season is probably going to be like it's just until we got some, tired. <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> random amount of episodes. Yeah. And we're like, we want a break. Um, yeah. So. But yes, the holidays are nigh. And we're humans. And we need to spend time drinking hot chocolate and wearing pajamas and all the winter things. Yes. And so, we which also, take up so much time. <laughs> yes. And we also now both live in um, the UK, UK where we are, what, four five years into our second lockdown and <laughs> basically we just need a break for our mental spiritual emotional well-being uh, amen sister our physical health is going down the toilet as i eat candy kittens for every meal i but... yeah i literally ate like three different types <laughs> of cake yesterday and then i was just like I don't think I didn't see a problem with that. <laughs> yes, as our physical health goes down the toilet, we really need yeah. to work on our emotional, spiritual yeah. health. Um. Yeah. Anyways, we have a podcast for you today <laughs> because this is not actually the end. It's the almost, almost, almost end. end. Yes. Um, Marva, do you want to tell our listeners what you have in store for today? Or... Yes, so we're traveling to the other side of the world if you live in North America or the UK. If you live in Australia, we are not traveling <laughs> to 
anywhere because we are going to not exactly Australia. But... <laughs> I know, I was going to say. <laughs> but, Tas- um... <laughs> but Tasmania is like, is where we're going. And if you're is... in Oceania. Oceania? But it's whatever. also basically, it's like, I think it's like part of Australia. Like it used to be. We'll talk, we'll get into it as I tell you about the history of mm-hmm. Tasmania. It used to be part of Australia, but rising seawaters has cut it off from the rest of the mm. continent. Anyways, mm. we'll get there. So that's where we're going. Back in time to the, what is it, 19th century? I'm really bad with the centuries thing. And yeah. Tasmania. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Should we tell them that this was recorded like ages ago and so neither of us actually know what's happening right now? Um, or you do know because you practice. I do know what. You do know what's about to happen. Oh, because I you reviewed your notes. I only practiced the first two paragraphs, so I don't actually mm-hmm. know. So it's going to be a, a surprise for all of us. Yeah, maybe we should do like a live listening session. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but cool. So yes, this was recorded a while ago because it was going to be going to be one of my first episodes. But then we decided to do the Skylar sisters instead. So. Yeah. If this episode sounds not very good, it's because it was one of our very beginning episodes. Yeah. And we have learned a lot since then. So much. But here we are. Anyways, such is life. So we hope you enjoy this episode about two of the last Tasmanians, but they're not really the last Tasmanian because there's still lots of Tasmanians alive today and we should not forget them. Okay. Amen. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'm going to tell you the story of Fanny Cochran Smith and Treganini, the last, air quotes, Tasmanians. To begin, I'm just going to give you a quick little, uh, like, intro to Tasmania about the culture and the history because before looking into this I didn't really know anything about Tasmania let alone I currently know nothing about Tasmania yeah yeah so a Tasmania or and I think that I looked up all the pronunciations not like I did with the French episode so (laughs) like hopefully this is better um a Tasmania or low true wider as it would have been called in the native language spoken on the Brunny Island is a series of islands on the south coast of Australia. Um, At the end of the last ice age, rising water cut off Tasmania from the rest of Australia, and the people there developed their own lifestyles and languages and cultures. And on the main island of Tasmania, there were at least five different languages spoken. Hmm. So the people uh, who lived there were like they lived a hunter-gatherer lifestyle they hunted kangaroos and seals and fish but like fishing um but the island had an abundance of natural edible plants like fruits and nuts comparative to other countries they had a really diverse diet um the article that i was reading was talking more about like comparatives between other Aboriginal people like who lived in like Australia. But I also think 
this is just me personally think that probably also comparative to like people in Europe because the no, definitely diet of your like average everyday citizen at least in London during these times was not going to be super like varied and healthy um yeah I just this... like um oh sorry oh no I was just gonna say that like I was listening to this other podcast but like during the 1700s like people basically survived off of gin and so like <laughs> I think that they're doing all right what are you yeah um, just, yeah, that I've read about when Europeans first came to the Americas and like, I've seen paintings like this too, of like these like five foot two, like men from Europe meeting these like six, mm-hmm. five Native Americans because just mm-hmm. their nutrition, there was such a huge gap in like the variety of things that Europeans ate and they would just, yeah, they weren't really getting a lot of like protein and nutrients. And so they mm-hmm. were just, that's why like in Europe, like, I mean, you live in England, like your mm-hmm. houses are so small, like yeah. these people were so small. Uh Um, And yeah, it was just like not nutritional at all. And native peoples around the world had way more varied diets. You Mm -hmm. look like traditional African diets before we like destroyed Africa, like (laughs) in that conversation. But yeah, they're like all like super rich in nutrients and stuff. So just a little bit of history. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit of history on our history podcast. Um, Yeah. So I probably like a lot of times will say things that will make me seem very like annoyed with the English and that will make sense as we go on further. Um, So in my research, I also watched this very dubious documentary called The Last Tasmanian. um, And that was very informative, but it still definitely had like this like post-colonial 1970s Mm. vibe. Um, So for all of the things that, I talk about that they said in this documentary like I like double researched just to make sure um but like it was interesting and like it had like a lot of good information so if you did want to watch it I would say do it but just like take everything they say with a grain of salt um so the people they used canoes made out of paper bark to go hunting and trade with other islands Um, The documentary said that the boats would basically get soggy so they couldn't get very far and that they didn't use oars as we think of today, Hmm. which from my reading is partly true. Um, They did make boats out of paper bark and in the way that is described in that documentary, but they were a lot more effective than this documentary like suggested. They didn't use oars, but they used poles to push them or they would have somebody swim on the side and like kind of pull them forward. Oh, wow. And um, they could carry multiple people and animals. And so they... And Miles own... got them from, like, island to island in Tasmania. Yeah. So, like, they okay. didn't go, like, super far distances. But mm. they did, you know, they got the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my only, like, other thing that I could think of was, like, the, like, canoes that people use in, like, the Polynesian islands. And those were, like, super intense. And they could, like, mm-hmm. go, like, across oceans and all this kind of stuff. So they weren't like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for their purposes, they were kind of all that they needed. Yeah. Um, one thing that was particularly important in their culture was fire. Some believed that fire was given to them by the stars and they have many origin stories that focus on fire. And I'm just bringing this up. Oh, also they used, um, like, they would set fires to, like, burn the, like, brush as, mm-hmm. like, a way of, like, um, you know, maintaining the land around them. Um, yeah. 
And I think they did that on mainland Australia too, the Aboriginals there. Yeah, probably. But um, this is just one thing that I'm partly just bringing up because I found it really annoying because in the documentary they said that they didn't know how to make fire. And that was just like a lie. Like they literally said. Humans that- literally have been making fire for yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this is why this documentary, like, it has a lot of useful information, yeah. but it still is, like, painting them as, like, these people that were, Savages like... Savages or something. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, and, yeah. So, in reality, they used flint to make fire just like everybody else. <laughs> um, and there was one thing that this documentary kind of almost got right was that they didn't wear much clothing. Um, they mostly wore it in the winter to keep warm, but if they weren't cold, it was kind of like fair game not to wear clothes. Hmm. Um, and they did, however, make really cool like necklaces that were made out of strips of animal fur, like kangaroos and shells, because they hmm. had like loads of shells and they ate lots of shellfish. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So that's all the like fun stuff. Um, that like you didn't know about in Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have the kind of like really like this is going to be an extremely short summary, but um, just to, like set the scene of their history. So for eight thousand years, the Tasmanians lived isolated from the rest of the world. They had many different tribes, and they had a conflict between themselves. But they, otherwise, they were just kind of going about like business as usual. Um, the first European sighting of Tasmania was in 1642 by Dutch explorer Abel Tasman. Um, and between then and the late 1770s, a few other European explorers came by, including Captain Cook, who is famous, but he's not a woman. And I honestly don't actually know why he's that famous. But I didn't look it up um, because, yeah, because he's a colonizing um, man and has no face in our podcast. Yeah, um, and then in 1798, sealers and whalers, who are people who hunt seals and whales, and yes, I did have to look that up, um, came and they stayed. And then in 1803, the British officially colonized it. And in the same vein as Australia, they intended it to be used as a prison. But for mm. the particularly worst offenders, like the murderers and the rapists, etc. Oh, um, wow. okay. And so it's estimated that at this time, around 1803, that there were about 7,000 Aboriginal people living on the islands. That's so evil to just literally send the worst people of your society to an island that is already populated with yeah. people. Yeah. that's not that's like unleashing like just a, a way just was like oh you know what like california has too many murderers we're just gonna put all of them in colorado and then everyone in colorado is like there's just murderers on the loose like yeah i mean i wouldn't send them to colorado but i can think of some places that i would like to send them um, <laughs> oh gosh but anyways um i'm from a colonial colonialist background so what can i say it's oh, not gosh, my fault yeah. you um, learned the language of your <laughs> or whatever not the language the ways whatever. yeah okay. um okay anyways basically what happens is that the prisoners are sent there but they are kind of abandoned by the government and so then they get into conflicts with the aboriginal people over food and um like the convict settlers 
honestly did like unspeakable things to the aboriginal people like so unspeakable that i'm not going to speak about it um but basically they killed men women and children and a lot of them and the sealers who were um going to the coast to get the seals would often abduct the women who were there like Mm. gathering shellfish and so basically they're just kind of like under siege on all sides oh my gosh so then between 1807 and 1813 600 colonists as in not criminals moved to the island and they set up farms and brought sheep and then they brought more sheep and then more colonists and people just keep coming until 1824. There's over 12,000 colonists and wow. 200,000 sheep. Um, and all these sheep took up a lot of space and sure. the land and they caused a lot of problems for the hunting patterns of the Tasmanians. Um, mm. Yeah. And so then in the 1820s, violence broke out between the white settlers and the black natives and it reached a peak and began what is called the Black War. Um, the new colonists that kept coming, though, that arrived, they were not all convicts as it had been before. Many of mm-hmm. them were like the wealthy children of gentry who were coming to get land because they were offered a thousand acres of land if they went and settled there. Yeah. Just like who, who's right is it to give away this <laughs> land? Like who would you buy it from? No one. Yeah. You didn't buy it yet. It's not yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Colonialism just as a whole concept is something I've just never actually understood. Like the idea of it. Especially because like private property is a Western concept. Mm-hmm. And then it's like so like wouldn't you then know that like this is quote unquote private property to someone else. Mm-hmm. But then you don't. Yeah, and I think it's just, like, so weird because, like, when I was doing this, like, it brought up a lot of things that are, like, you know, current day issues, Mm. and if this gets too long, I'll cut it out, but um, just, like, thinking about, like, you know, in America, like, now when, like, people from, like, South America are, like, refugees and who are coming in, and people are like, no way, Mm -hmm. like, this is our land, and blah, 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 but I'm like, okay, but before that didn't seem to matter. I know, and you weren't even, like, like, I guess they were kind of refugees sometimes, but these people are not refugees. They're rich. Yeah, I mean, a lot like, of, yeah. Some of these people are sent there, like, against their will. But, like, some of them, yeah, are just, like, yeah. But so I'm, like, we need to, like, get our, like, what our mo- morals are and then just stick to it. Like, yeah. be like, this is the line. We yeah. don't care if this is your land. And then so if somebody comes and takes our land, we don't care. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or we do care. But then, you know, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. That's my rant. First of many. <laughs> First um, of many. Okay. Yeah. So I'm they, here for it. <laughs> the um, you know, new colonists were like supposedly like well-educated and moral people who brought with them the Bible, but their interpretation of the Bible is like the most white supremacist thing I've ever heard. Um, and so they like took the line from like Genesis that says like be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it to mean that because the Aboriginal people were, like, hunter-gatherers and didn't farm, that they then just weren't people, Um, which... Because they literally don't have fruit. Well, and, yeah, because they aren't subduing... I mean, they are subduing the land. They're, like, you know, setting the fires and all that kind of stuff, but Mm. they aren't doing it in, like, an agricultural way that, like, the people... (sighs) 
like understand um I, for I, the majority of human history the vast majority that homo sapiens were on this planet we were hunter gatherers like yeah. i know they don't know that at the time but i'm just like yeah i just is- like i think like even even for then like that is a stretch like yeah even for all of the things that you don't know just yeah, yeah. um but so the native people then would attack the settlers and the settlers would attack the natives and um, this conflict just kind of goes on and one historian said that also what was really important was that there was a massive gender imbalance amongst the settlers. The men outnumbered mm. women six to one. Wow. And the convict population, men outnumbered women 16 to one. And oh then so with between the settlers and the convicts and the sealers like the women are just getting kidnapped like oh left right center and, and then obviously to make another modern connection native women in america are going missing like crazy and no one does mm-hmm. anything about it yeah. just saying we haven't evolved we are still doing this <laughs> yeah but i mean these the men then you know would be like you can't just like take our land, take our women, and then like, yeah. So then they would like fight back, and again. So I will eventually like leave this documentary, but in this documentary, it was like the most outrageous thing. There was like this scene where this they were talking like to this woman, who I don't know who she was. I wasn't like paying that deep attention at this point because I was just like, why is this happening? Um, <laughs> but she was like at this like grave site and she was like there was a family here that the like native people like attacked and they killed like them and like she was just like it's just so sad and like blah 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 and I was just like uh like <laughs> I don't oh like oh my gosh yeah like okay killing people is always bad but it's also like they weren't like the Europeans were not completely like subjected to genocide like that's one thing is a lot more sad like, yeah and I was just like but why were they why did they kill like can we think for like one second like if they weren't there they wouldn't have killed them um but (laughs) not yeah whatever um so then in november of 1826 the governor of tasmania governor george arthur issued a government notice declaring that colonists were free to kill aborigines when Mm -hmm. they attacked settlers or their property and in the following eight months, more than 200 Aborigines were killed in the settled districts um, in reprisal oh for the God. deaths of 15 colonists. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, again, you know, people putting some people's life at the same value as property um, mm-hmm. is this a surprise. Um, but so, anyways, it is into this world that Truganini our first lady was born. Um, She was born in, do you have any questions about like the Tasmanian history thing before I move on? Um, I was wondering, do you know like the sealers, they're British too, or they're Dutch or who are those people? Um, Yeah. Like they're kind of like all different, like just like European, there's like French, there's Dutch, there's um, English. And they Um, don't like, they're just like sail by and like, take women and seals basically is like their thing yeah and I think like some of them will live on like some of the islands and stuff and like like, you know then like move in but yeah their main thing is hunting these Mm -hmm. animals um 
Yeah, I mean, that's not an important question, but that was my only question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. So, Tradilini was born in 1812 on the Bruny Island um, to the chief of the Bruny Island people named Mangana. Um, during her younger years, Bruny Island had not been the center of the invasion. So, her childhood was able to, like, go on, like, you know, a little bit, like, nicely like she was still yeah. able to learn and take part in the traditions of her family and culture uh culture that was weird why did I say it like that um Traganini's home of Runny Island had a reputation of having less hostile relations with the settlers than of that on the main island but like this is just my thoughts but possibly because they just had like less people invading their lands mm-hmm. um, but this didn't mean, though, that Truganini had escaped the violence of colonialism. Her mother was killed by sailors. Her uncle mm-hmm. was shot by a soldier. Her sister was kidnapped by sealers. And her fiancé oh was tortured and killed in front of her by timber cutters, <gasps> who then repeatedly raped and abused her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then in 1824, the governor that we talked about, George Arthur set up a policy that all the Aboriginal people should be rounded up to prevent any further conflict and bounties were placed out for them to be captured and brought alive and then to be placed into camps, which oh, I think that gosh. we all know that camps yeah. are not a good thing. Yeah. Um, so George, Arthur, like to give you a little context as to why he like made this rule, um, he had been warned by the British government that, and this is a quote, any line of conduct leading to the extinction of the native race could not fail to leave an indelible stain on the character of the British Empire. So So you can't kill all of them is what he's saying. Yeah, but I think that what to me this means is that they very much know that they are running very close to the extinction mm. of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, In what? How many years has this been since England arrived? Like 20 years or something? Yeah, 21 years. That's insane. The 8,000 yeah. people? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In the documentary, one thing that they did say was that this was the most complete genocide of a people to ever happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, the quickest and most complete. Um, yeah. So, during this time, the people being rounded up, this is where Truganini met George Augustus Robinson, who was the chief protector, and Sabrina can see me doing my little air quotes, <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, air quotes, because around <laughs> the word really protector. protector. Um, yes. Uh, it was his responsibility to gather the Tasmanian people and move them to the camps. Yeah, that does not sound like protection. Yeah. Um, he that sounds promised... like forced displacement into yeah. concentration camps. Like... Yes, but listen to his promises. Um, he promised that the you know they'd have a nice place to live with food and space. And so soon after meeting Robinson Treganini, she got married to another Aborigine man named Gorardi, and they together traveled with Robinson to try and negotiate peace and to get them to agree to be moved. Oh, no. Um, she acted as his guide and taught him her language and about their oh culture. Oh, um, And Robinson, in the way imperialists do, he gave her a new name, Lala Rook, or Princess Lala Rook. Um, 
but we're still going to call her Trugnini because that was yeah. her name. Yeah. Um, you guys, and... Marva can see me rolling my eyes at this. <laughs> um, and in some ways, their journey was a success, um, at least for Robinson. He managed to move the people into a settlement on Flinders Island. And at this time, there are about 100 people who live in this settlement. Um, 100 um, who? Aboriginal Tasmanian okay. people. Um, and that's pretty close to all that's left. Um, wow. Yeah. So Tregnini was unaware of the damage that would be done to her people. And so she continued to help Robinson establish a second settlement on the mainland of Australia for Australian Aboriginal people. Oh, um, wow. But then, yeah, and so while she was away, um, disease and poor conditions forced the population on Flinders Island down from 100 to about 47, some things say 46. Um, And so just to point out how awful things were, originally the plan was to move only the people who were in or near near the settlement. area like the settlement of where the colonists were out of Tasmania um and that was the mostly the eastern part of the island but there were several groups who lived on the west coast uh where there were no settlers but Mm. the settlers said that they wanted no aboriginal people on the island at all so they were all forced to leave um even though and this is the thing like I'm like so stuck on this one thing but um even though like to this day like people still don't really live on the western side of the island Mm. um and so then they moved them to like a small island that was over on the western side that had been used for the absolute worst criminals and the like criminal prisoners there they did all that they could to torture the aboriginal oh my people gosh. um and in an excerpt from robinson's diary he wrote um and this is like an old not old english but kind of like old english so i'm just gonna like paraphrase it um but he said i asked them why they cried and when one responded he asked why was a black man's wife not to cry as well as a white man's um, which to me just shows like how aware the like Aboriginal people must have felt that like the white like colonists like didn't see them as human yeah. because they're like what like why would we not cry yeah like look at the conditions that we're living in like um, and which also like at this point just like as a fact um, I'm not gonna get super into it but. If you would like to learn more, I can tell you some places. But this was around the time of, like, Darwin and the height of, like, Mm. racial science. And it was also when um, they had, like, first discovered, like, you know, the remains of, like, I guess it's, like, a Neanderthal or something. Um, In Germany. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then they thought, though, that, like, between their Bible verses and, like, all these, like, pseudosciences that they have going on, they didn't think that the Aboriginal people were human. Like, they literally, some people said that they were, like, the missing link. Some people just oh thought gosh. that whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, in when she's in Australia, Truganini is 
finally sees like how the aboriginal people are being treated and she's like shocked and outraged by this treatment and she felt really betrayed by robinson because like a lot of things i said like they did like have like a kind of like not friendship but i mean kind of like a friendship a friendship Um, where one of them doesn't see the other one as human but yeah i don't i don't know what robinson himself thought but like yeah but anyway so she yeah she feels betrayed and so she left him and then she spent two years living around like the melbourne area Hmm. and then this is probably did she just leave her fiance or her husband or whoever uh no he came with her okay um and yeah they did what's like what I think is like my favorite thing to ever happen in history is she joined up with a group of fighters and they became outlaws and they like attacked the whalers and the settlers. Um, Let's go. Robbing them. Yeah. And then um, after two years though, and like a long pursuit by authorities, the outlaw group is caught. And although Traganini somehow escapes the hangman, some of her like accomplices are hanged and she and her husband are sent back to flinders island but Warardi dies on the way mm. um Treganini doesn't stay long on flinders island because a few months later the 47 ish maybe sometimes 46 survivors of flinders island are moved to a new place called oyster cove um and so now we're in the year 1847 Oyster Cove is an ex-convict government settlement that's 35 miles south of Hobart, which is the capital. And um, they're back on mainland Tasmania. And this move has kind of like mixed reviews from settlers of Tasmania because they didn't want the native people to return. Um, And so to ease their fears, the government... Why did they move them to Oyster Cove? Um... Because everyone was, like, dying on Flinders Island. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll kind of get to it a little bit more. But so in order to, like, calm the fears of the settlers, the government described the 13 male survivors um, as, like, being in a non-threatening state, saying that they had either been reared by Europeans or worked for them and had lived 15 years in civilized habits and are almost all addicted to gardening, which I don't really know what that means. Also um, non-violent because they're reared by Europeans. Excuse me, you guys are the most violent like people I've ever seen <laughs> on any continent. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If I was that a European, I'd be like, oh shoot, they're like us? I'm scared. <laughs> like, they're gonna like just kill me and steal my wife. Like, oh yeah. my gosh. That is, that is fair. Um, so, anyway, so like you were asking, their return was officially recorded as a budgetary measure, mm-hmm. measure but um, it could also be viewed as a means to allay some of the guilt for what non Aboriginal people viewed as the last what's that called quotations last um of a distinct race dying outside of their home territory to which they had continually asked to return and they've just like accepted that they're all gonna die now like that's that's i mean i don't know what they're oh yeah the like european yeah yeah they're like okay we're 
this is not going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this group, there were five boys, five girls, 23 women, and 14 or 13 men. Different things say different things. Mm-hmm. Um, of the 10 children, eight of them were taken to an orphanage asylum. And for four of them, there's then just no record of whatever happened to mm-hmm. them after that. Um, also, though Oyster Cove was kind of just like an awful place it had previously been deemed unfit to live for the prisoners that were held there Hmm. and that's why this land was available um so the site was damp and unhealthy and proper maintenance was never undertaken the provisions were poor and the non-aboriginal administration was inadequate um and the local game was quickly eliminated Hmm. So, of this group of survivors, there is Truganini, and then there is the family of Fanny Cochran Smith. So, wow, that's all. Um, there's yeah, there's the forty-seven. Oh, okay. And then the ten kids leave. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So, just to like make sure we're all on the same page, so we have Truganini. She's born in eighteen twelve. She's like so kind of right at the beginning of all of the, you know, mm-hmm. troubles. But then by the time she's an adult, her pretty much all of her people are gone. And in some ways, you know, she tried to do her best, mm-hmm. but in some ways then aided in this happening. Yeah. Um, not that there's really anything she can do about no, it. No, yeah. Just um, like I can't imagine her guilt, like when she found out. And mm-hmm. that's probably why she started that like rebel group or whatever Mm -hmm. but like yeah i just can't imagine like thinking you're helping someone Mm -hmm. and then like really hurting them Mm -hmm. yeah so now we'll just leave Traganini there and we'll talk a bit about fanny um fanny cochran smith was born in december of 1834 her mother was named ten Ganaratara and her father we're not 100% sure of um, but we'll get to that later she was born in the Flinders Island settlement settlement that Robinson had set up um, she was born at oh, Waibalena wow. which means black man's house um, and she doesn't have an indigenous name that we know of because like I said before Robinson gave out, gave out these more European sounding names as a way to suppress their culture um not nice yeah so she would have had a very different childhood than Traganini. she lived in the house of a preacher on flinders island from the ages of five to eight years old and then although she was not an orphan she was sent to this orphanage school in hobart uh to learn how to be a servant um But it said that at the school, as you might guess, the children learned little, and uh, it was basically like a prison. Mm. After she finished training, she returned to Flinders Island and worked for the preacher as a servant, which really wasn't any better, like, as the conditions were really brutal, and she was severely neglected. And she's also only 12 years old at this point. Um but she was paid two pounds and ten pence a year, which oh, even in that is not very much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She lived 
uh, in the Flinders Island settlement until it closed down in 1847. And then she was one of the 46 that was moved to Oyster Cove. Uh, Fanny then went back into working in service. Um, She worked in Hobart, uh, but then she kind of moved back to Oyster Cove. And in my mind, it's kind of just like deciding which nightmare that you want to live Mm -hmm. in. um, But then in 1854, in October of that year, she got married. Uh, She married William Smith, who was a sawyer, um, which I did look up, and it is a person who saws. Um, (laughs) And he was a sawyer and an ex-convict, which... Oh, so he was European. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to just, like, do another little, like, sidebar about the convicts so basically there were loads of really like dangerous criminals that were sent to Tasmania and Australia Um, but also in this time period in England there were also just like a whole lot of extremely poor people Mm. and so sending the poor people to Australia was also kind of like a social cleansing where you could just have people who were so poor and they had no options and then if they committed like even minor crimes you just like send them to the other side of the world um crazy and so for the rich people and the people in government it seemed like a way to solve their problems without having to like actually solve the insane inequalities um but then still punish the poor people Um, like out of sight out of mind kind of thing yeah and yeah, like, so I don't know if this for sure was the case for William Smith, but he did get sent away for stealing a donkey, which I feel like the punishment for stealing a donkey really being that you get sent to the other side of the world yeah. is like quite Also, extreme. if you're stealing a donkey, like it's probably because you're poor. Like you're not just yeah, going to be like, and- oh, I'm bored sitting in my bourgeois house and like, yeah. you know, I'm going to go steal a donkey. That's like a really yeah. essential thing you steal because like your family's one animal died and you need it to get through the harvest season. Yeah, it's not just like have a casual donkey like yeah. in your house. Oh, I'm starting a petting zoo. <laughs> yeah. um, but so anyways, yeah, back to Fanny. So Fanny and William, they lived in Hobart and they ran a small business, which was a boarding house in town. And then they did fencing and shingle splitting. Um, and the people from Oyster Clove, Cove, Oyster Cove, including her family, could come and visit. Um, But then after a death in the family, Fanny and William moved back to Oyster Cove, where they had 11 children. Wow. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. They had a five-room house, which is small for 11 children, but, like, it's kind of big. Like, at the time. Yeah. And they grew their own food, but their income still mainly came from timber. And so Fanny would walk 31 miles into town, like in back into Hobart to get supplies, which is just a whole lot. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. During her time. She's a donkey now, I bet. Like, I know. Yeah. So, yeah, during her time living in Oyster Cove, Fanny did get to see her family and the rest of the Aboriginal people living um, there, including Treganini, who taught her bushcraft from her country on Brunny Island Mm. and with whom Fanny would fish and hunt and collect bush tucker medicine 
and do like aboriginal ceremonies oh Um, that's good she got some of her culture after years of just being in servitude to white people yeah um so fanny william and their children eventually moved away from oyster cove and lived in irish town um which is where they became some of the early converts to the methodist church Hmm. um they held Hmm. Um, (laughs) i'm just like (laughs) interesting facts they held the services in their kitchen until a church could be built on the land that fanny donated because she owned that land wow um she got rich people, or something she had like gotten like some kind of like grant from the government where she got like some acres of land mm. and like 25 pounds um it seems is not this enough. their like four acres and a mule thing <laughs> I don't know I couldn't I didn't like I saw this multiple times that she was given this but like nobody ever said like why Mm. um but yeah so people came from all over like to attend their church and to hear Fanny perform aboriginal songs and dances Mm. um so what is the story how did we get to have two women who are said to be the last full-blooded Tasmanian aboriginal people After Fanny moved away from Oyster Cove, the population dwindled and Truganini was left with just a few others. And as they started to pass away, she fought to keep their bodies in Tasmania so they could be given a proper ceremony um, and not be sent off to be dissected and experimented (gasps) on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What's wrong Um, with people? Many, many things. Um... Yes. Unfortunately, it was a battle that she would not win as her friends' bodies would be sent to Europe and experimented on. Mm. Um, Eventually, Truganini was the final survivor of the Oyster Cove group. Um, She pleaded to have her body left alone after she died, but when she did pass away in 1876, her remains were mutilated by scientists and put on display in the Tasmanian Museum until 1951. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. Like, first of all, you don't need to do that experiment 46 times. I'm pretty sure you have your answer. Second of all, the answer to the experiment is that they're human because their bodies are literally the same. Mm-hmm. So, like, after the first one, you should have been like, oh, my gosh, we're so sorry. Like, I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. I, don't understand. I think, like, there was also, okay, back to this documentary. I said I was going to stop, but I'm not, I'll never stop. <laughs> Um, there was this guy who, like, his, like, grandfather, this documentary was from the 70s, and this guy was, like, really old, so his grandfather was, like, one of these, like, people who was, like, one of these original settlers. Oh, wow. And, um, this guy, who, it was in this documentary, like, he said that when he was, like, younger, he's, like, a, you know, like, a doctor, but not, like, a medical doctor, Mm. but, like, somebody who goes to school for a long time. He has a PhD. Um, (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he... Um, he and some of his, like, other, like, smart people friends, like, went to Oyster Cove, or not Oyster Cove, maybe Flinders Island, and they dug up the bodies that were buried there. Yeah, and he said it was the biggest disgrace of his life, but I was just like, I just, I don't even... Wow. There are some things, one, that I also just would not admit on TV, Mm -hmm. Um, but, yeah. 
that's another so. thing that's just like so against like their own religion like christian religion like and yeah. against their own culture and then they go and uh-huh. do it and i'm just like uh-huh you like are trying to impose your values on other people and like use that as like a rationale for like all the like horrible things you're doing but then you're also like blatantly going against it and I'm just like mm-hmm. I don't get it yeah all um, we ask that- for is consistency like you're yeah. gonna be evil either yeah. way but just be consistent yeah. about it let me know so I can expect so I can see what's yeah. coming yeah um so Treganini was not finally laid to rest until 1976, which was 100 years wow. after she died. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, when the Tasmanian Aboriginal community finally got her remains back and had them cremated so they could never be used on a display mm. or for air quotes scientific purposes ever again. Um, upon Treganini's death, Fanny applied to the government to be recognized as the last living full-blooded Tasmanian Aborigine. She did win this recognition, although and this like complete idiot Henry Ling Roth, um, who was a London-born anthropologist, said that she could not be a full-blooded Aboriginal because he looked at pictures of her and of Treganini and said that Fanny's skin, these are black and white pictures, um, Fanny's skin I just already was know lighter, what's gonna happen. Yeah, was lighter than Treganini's and that Treganini's hair was more woolly than Fanny's. Um, First of all, I, you better never use the word woolly. Yeah, I know. I know. Second of all, maybe um, one picture was in summer. Maybe one girl is darker. Like, what the heck? That doesn't. Maybe make- it's 1800s black and white <laughs> photography. Like, yeah, there's a lot of factors. Stuff, right? Yeah, there's. Yeah, I have a whole lot to say about that. Um, but for the sake of the story, I'm gonna try and like. Take a deep breath. Hey, take a deep breath. On. Everybody can take a deep breath really quick. <laughs> yeah, let's do a collective deep breath. <sighs> okay. okay. I was getting heated. I didn't even know. I feel okay. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Um, so the government uh, finally doing the first good thing that they've ever done and probably have ever done ever and will never do a good <laughs> thing ever again um, ignored the likes of Roth and granted Fanny the title as the last aboriginal woman person um and they gave her 50 pounds and 300 acres of land as her i don't know what this is if it's a reward or if it's compensation or what yeah um, literally what is it i want to i want to know tell me what you yeah. call that yeah this is apology this gift for me. killing 8000 people that's not big enough honestly yeah um give me the so- whole island of australia <laughs> And nothing less. And your children. Um, <laughs> Make them all servants to me. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. So Fanny, though, she continued to practice the traditional ways of her people and she passed these traditions on to her 11 children. Um, however, it was as a performer that she cemented her legacy. Fanny Cochran Smith performed twice at the Theatre Royale, um, returning for a performance in 1903. By this time, her fame had spread, and Horace Watson, a Hobart industrialist, attended one of her performances and was so impressed that he arranged for her songs to be recorded on the newly developed Edison Wax phonograph. 
and Fanny Coffin Smith's songs are amongst the earliest musical recordings ever. Wow. And the only recordings ever made of Tasmanian Aboriginal song and speech. Hmm. After hearing the recordings, it is said that she cried, my poor race, what have I done? And she believed that the voice to be that of her mother's. Mm. Um, She died two years later in 1905 at the age of 70. Oh my gosh. I literally had chills when you said my poor race. And I've read that part before, but it's just, it's just like, yeah, hearing that it's so sad. Like, yeah, it's like, I think something that I just find to be so... And I think that probably nobody in the world can, like, really understand what Mm -mm. would that feeling be. Like, Like, the isolation, just. mm -hmm. And knowing that you won, like, you didn't win or whatever, but, like, okay, I got 50 pounds, not enough, and 300 acres of land, like, okay, that's cool, but, like. I know. I I got it because. kind of all happened in, like, one generation. Yeah, like, it's, you know. Between Truganini died in 1874, I think, mm-hmm. and they British colonized it in 1803. Wow. So, like, that is like you know, years. one person's life, um, yeah. But so, the legacy and why they and the whole the last Aboriginal Tasmanians, like, it's a phrase that's said a lot, but like, it's very controversial um because Fanny's family tree still goes on today Mm -hmm. and her great-great-grandson today is an aboriginal rights advisor and Fanny taught her children and grandchildren about the customs and culture that she learned from her mother and from Trugani. Today both are considered to be the last aboriginal Tasmanians depending on who you ask But the truth is that neither of them are the last Tasmanians because there are many descendants of Tasmanian Aboriginal people that live on today and try to keep the aspects of their culture that still remain and were passed down from these two women alive. There currently um, is an indigenous Tasmanian language that is spoken today. It's called Palawakani, which means Tasmanian Aborigines speak. It's made up of the remnants of previous languages mm. that were lost due to the genocide of its people. So although there isn't an original language or full-blooded Tasmanian alive today, the culture and the people go on. Okay, yeah. I feel like that's another thing I've heard in, like, America. I think it's called, like, blood quantum or something. It's like, um, mm-hmm. like that you're supposed to, like, it's like a white concept though of like having like a certain amount of blood to be considered native like to be Mm -hmm. considered like indigenous and like what I've seen of like indigenous people in America is like we don't care about that like that was never a thing we cared about of you being Mm -hmm. like this much you know and like so like the idea that that's I mean I don't know anything about like aboriginal culture like what they would consider true Tasmanian especially because like they were isolated for like 8,000 years but like Mm -hmm. I like just the idea of saying like because she was the last full-blooded Tasmanian that means she's the last Tasmanian I think is a really like like its roots are in like this like white supremacist mindset of like purity and yeah grace. yeah where it like discounts the people who are actually alive and still like trying to keep these yeah. like cultures and you know trying to fight for the like you know remembrance 
of their people and their culture because it was a complete like genocide yeah. of people and like that does need to be acknowledged mm-hmm. but then that will only be acknowledged by acknowledging the people who are still here yeah um, and yeah it's insane at all that anyone could be the last full-blooded person quote-unquote mm-hmm. full-blooded person of their race like I yeah. can't even conceive of that like that's like People get upset about, like, animals going extinct. Like, this is a whole, like... Yeah. Like, that's insane. Like... Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's just... It's also, like, with that guy... I don't remember what his name was, who was the one who said, like, she's lighter skin, so she's not really... Oh, yeah. Roth. Yeah, Roth. Like, that idea, too, is just, like, you don't... Like, there's so much more than, like, your complexion that goes into, Mm -hmm. like, your racial and ethnic identity. And I think, like, the fact that, like... Truganini and Fanny were able to pass on language and culture and the fact that Fanny was able to record it that is honestly such mm-hmm. a gift I'm so yeah. sad for her that it hurt her in that way and that she felt like mm-hmm. her mother was like coming through her and like a sounds kind of like a not not in a good way like in a scary mm-hmm. way yeah um, that is really sad but I think it's such a gift to the world that that exists now yeah um and I'm super glad that you brought up the thing about the like uh photos and like you know the light skin or whatever mm-hmm. thing um because I like in like in during my research I was looking a lot at like about different articles you know from the like Tasmanian Aboriginal like community today um and I think kind of just like in general about like that kind of I don't know what do you call that like Australia Tasmania and New Zealand area Oceana. yeah is um, that what it's called I don't know. Hold on. Let me look it up. Yeah. They were talking about, you know, people now, like, claiming to be of Aboriginal descent in order to get, like, the benefits that the government, like, gives. Like, and I know that, like, because I know in, like, the U.S., like, you know, like, if you have, like, some, like, Native American, like, you know, heritage, then you can, like, you know, get, like, scholarships or Mm -hmm. something and that kind of stuff. So I think that I, from what I understand, like, there's, like, some similar things um but then that like so they wanted to like create maybe like a register of people who like actually are like you know aboriginal descent Mm -hmm. um but then something else I was reading was you know about how people before you know even like a few generations ago were like if you were have aboriginal descent then you didn't want to claim it yeah and so then like there's this thing where then like now it's like really hard to tell um because like if your parents didn't claim it because they like benefited them but then now you want to claim it but then you you know but then your parents didn't then you can't and Mm -hmm. then um yeah and it just reminded me of this like documentary I watched a long time ago that was about like uh black Indians like of black Native Americans um or American Indians and um like back in also the 1800s like they also kind of had to like choose between like you know depending on where you were like in the country like you know was it better to be black in this Mm. area or was it better to be like American Indian like Mm -hmm. because you know they both had their downsides but depending on where you were um it could be Mm. like one thing or the other and so like having to like choose you know what culture you identify with Mm -hmm. and then potentially losing the other part of yeah um and having to hide it yeah and like your kids Um, don't know yeah that's so crazy mm -hmm. yeah but so it's just a wild world out there man yeah yeah oh my gosh I can't like 
whenever I learn things like this, like things that were like really major and really horrific, but like that I just have never learned anything about. I'm just like, how mm-hmm. many more things are there? I know. Well, literally for me, that is like why I wanted to start this podcast mm-hmm. because of you wanted of, to start this of, podcast. You could talk about Blair and Serena. I know, <laughs> but the other reason I wanted to start it was because I told you. Don't make me sound stupid. Because I told <laughs> you about so like, to hold you accountable. <laughs> <laughs> about how in the musical six they were like mm-hmm. you know talking about i was like i texted you about this about um oh Catherine Catherine parr yeah. um because I, I was so devastated that i didn't know about like all of the I things know. that she did um and so yeah. yeah but then you know there's always just more and there's just more and more and more mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. um yeah i feel like you learn like one percent of history yeah and that's not even i don't know okay yeah not one percent because a lot of history wasn't recorded but for like modern as in not prehistoric history yeah um i feel like we learned like one percent of it or something yeah i mean like i'm like uh, in third grade we learned about like corona history and i'm like that was such a waste (laughs) that's true and for, for people, it was a racetrack. Great. I mean, corona is the city we're from, not the virus. It's yeah. a whole new meaning now. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we took a field trip to the Corona Heritage Museum, I remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that was literally like a small house with like some knickknacks. <laughs> yeah. I could have been I learning about I can about tell you Tasmania. all about how many orange trees used to be in Corona, mm-hmm. but I cannot tell you about the genocide that happened in Tasmania. Nope. Well, now we can. Um, okay, well... <laughs> Yeah, thank you for this incredible story of these women. I think the one good thing I can see in it is kind of like, which, I mean, we don't have to always find the good in things, but I think it helps me sleep at night. So I'm going to just <laughs> go ahead and do that. Is um, when Truganini, Truganini? Yeah. When Truganini really like takes Fanny under her wing, I think, especially since like, they had such different lives like aside from both being Tasmanian like they don't really have much in common like Truganini is a lot older she grew up in like the culture and she had this whole like series phase of rebellion against the colonizers Mm -hmm. whereas Fanny has always like lived and worked and learned from her colonizers and Mm -hmm. she didn't really have the same connection to the culture obviously that's not any fault of her own but I I could see them not really connecting, but I think it's just so beautiful that Truganini saw her as like a little sister type and someone she could teach about their traditions, even though they probably weren't, I don't know where Fanny's parents were from, but they might not have even been from the same island originally mm-hmm. and might have mm-hmm. actually had a different language originally and a different mm-hmm. culture and eating yeah. different foods. And like, she still just, I don't know, like kind of took care of her. And I think that's really nice. And yeah there's different ways people can keep cultures alive Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and I think you know because exactly like what you're saying like Fanny is the one who ended up like having the children Mm -hmm. who then had children and children so her being able to learn even if she didn't experience it as much or in the same way as Truganini did but learn from Truganini and from and from Fanny's mother as well, mm-hmm. like about the culture and stuff yeah. and be able to pass it on. Yeah, um, definitely. It's a big part of why, you know, we still have the aspects of it that we do. Yeah. 
I guess I don't really understand why who thinks Truganini is the last quote unquote the last Tasmanian. Um, a lot of people do because a lot of people do think that Fanny wasn't full blooded. Um, wow. I mean, if their so, only argument is a photograph, I think that's really dumb of people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a single clue. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, guess because they don't but... know who her father is. That just like yeah, leaves room for doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know really exactly. It's not like, important, what? but I was just mm-hmm. asking. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for the story, Marva. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I can't wait to hear what you've got next time. Yeah. Um. One, two, three. This this is is sister sistery. Oh wow, so perfect. I have I don't really have chills, but I would have chills. Okay, well it didn't sound that good to me, but we'll see in the recording because it felt good. Whenever it, it seems like it's good. It's not. And whatever it seems like it's not good, it's also not. So we'll just. (laughs) True. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.